Welcome to the Unapologetically Educated Podcast, a place for leadership, education, and real talk, where we can discuss the ups and downs, changing trends, and straightforward conversations about education. Now, your host of the Unapologetically Educated Podcast, Principal Hannibal. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Unapologetically Educated. Um, I am honored to be here today um, with a tribe of exceptional black leaders doing the work. Um, I'm proud uh, to call these people colleagues and friends and just people that are um, really grinding for all children, not just black and brown children, but for all children. And so we're going to introduce them. Well, they're going to introduce themselves in just a second. But today on the show, um, you, of course, if you're listening, you're living in America right now. Um, And some of you may not be living in America, but somewhere in the world. And you know um, about the pandemic of racial inequality um, in our country. But today, we're going to talk about the pandemic of being black in education. And I think it's important that we scale down as educational leaders and have the conversation about what does this look like in our educational system? And what does it look like? How does it feel to be a black leader in education, right? And so thinking about those things, we then come up with, solutions, antidotes to help address this um, continuous sickness in our country, in our world. And so we're going to talk again about our thoughts, our feelings about being black leaders, but we're also going to collectively start thinking and hopefully get you to thinking about solutions and, and where to start as a school leader today. Now, if you're listening and you're not black and you're listening just like to get insight, like I hope you do. Um, but like, this is coming from our hearts. This is not rehearsed. This is straight up unapologetically educated. And I, I want to preface this by saying there are um, some phenomenal leaders doing the work that are not black, that are supporting us, that um, are reaching out to figure out how can they help, um, how can they be a part of the solution. And so we thank those educators. And for me, I know one, um, if you haven't seen the Facebook Live with Kim Bearden, it was absolutely a blessing. Um, but so many other educators have, you know, took a stance. Um, Danny Steele of Steel Thoughts, like being able to understand that this is really, we're talking about race because it affects African-Americans, but this is not just a race issue. This is a humanity issue. And so as we dive in today, I'm telling y'all, get yourselves ready for a great show, but we are gonna tell our true feelings about being black in education, but ultimately in America. And then we're also going to dive in again about solutions to solve this. We have great principals and leaders on the panel today. We have Principal Harper, who is an elementary principal, but has a plethora of experience in education. We have Michael Bland, turnaround principal here today that is 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 doing things across the country um, about 
you know, changing the perception of poor performing schools. We have Dallas Lee, principal out of Maryland, middle school principal, who is an advocate for fighting for kids and families. Um, and then we have um, another guest who will be popping in shortly. Um, she will be coming on and speaking from the lens of a former um, school leader, but is now a district leader. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves and then we're going to dive right into the work. Hey, everybody. I'm just happy to be here, um, be in the moment. Um, as Miss Hannibal said, I am um, Letha Harp. I'm a principal in the DFW area, but I'm a lifelong learner. I'm somebody who is a servant leader at heart and believes that it is uh, a blessing to be able to serve others, to be able to nurture others, to be able to be a part of their journey of coming into their very well-being, um, take it very seriously about the responsibility that I have to put hands on kids and to ensure that they have um, access to becoming the best that they can be. So then that means that I literally don't have any limitations about what it takes to make sure that that happens. So anybody that I get the opportunity to do this work with, it's about pushing them to make sure by any means necessary. If you really say you love it on kids, then you need to be growing kids. And if you're not mm. growing kids, then you're really not loving kids. So this is just <laughs> who I am and who I try to stay true to being um, as I've been in this thing we call an education system since 2001 um, still trying to make sure that um, I stay live and relevant to what it is that we have to do in the cause of this moment so that is it that is I all right let's go Michael all right uh, again Miss Hannibal thank you for having me on it's an honor um, this panel that we're sitting on obviously we have some, some rock stars in here um, but again I'm Michael Bland principal here here in the DFW area at Garland ISD uh, at Laos Middle School and uh, I've been doing this work now for 15 years as an educator. My first uh, career field was criminal justice and how fitting based on the things that are going on right now in our society. So uh, my educational philosophy is one that's been shaped since I was a small kid to now. And being a native of Compton, California, just like any other inner city, obviously our, our, we're faced with a lot of uh, isms and a lot of conditions and things that will uh, impede our progress. But at the same time, it's our it's our, our that, that intrinsic motivation from within that drives us to move forward and, and become the people that we are today. So uh, moving now into my career and, and working in Garden ISD, and I've also worked in Dallas ISD, um, I've been a principal at three different campuses, and, and she mentioned turnaround work earlier, and I just call it the work itself. I mean, mm -hmm. we all should be dedicated to children and dedicated to the, uh, to the craft that we do. We're practitioners. We're not just uh, lay people that come into a field because we can't do another one, and so right, right, we have to right. we have to really place a, a level of emphasis on our career paths and say that hey we're professionals, you know we're we're people that need to be honored, and and, and this pandemic has I think has shed light on that uh, as educators, and so for me I'm here today just to uh, advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves, and so you know our protest comes in many different forms, and it's not always <gasps> civil and sometimes it's flipping the system upside down. So that's yes, what I plan to do uh, moving forward in my career and what I've already been doing prior to this. So thank you for having me again. Oh, God, it's going to be good. Okay, uh, let's go, Mr. Principal Lee. Let's go. Thank you so very much for allowing me just to share my thoughts today. Uh, Dallas Lee, originally from the south side of Chicago, raised by one parent, my mom, two younger sisters. And I say all that to say that school was always my outlet. So whenever I went to elementary school, middle school, same building back in the day, we had really good teachers. 
not to say we don't have great teachers now, it's our teachers were a bit different back in the day. They stayed in the same building for about 15, 20 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, They retired from buildings. And the thing is this, you knew every teacher in the building and every teacher was responsible for you as a person and as a student. And it didn't matter if you were in that person's class or not. So I have to tell you, I'm so proud to say that I entered education because my teachers raised me uh, along with my mom. So this whole notion of culturally responsive teaching, uh, culturally sensitive learning environments, that's what those teachers were doing before we put a fancy term to them. But now we've begun to operationalize, which does harm to the work, but I'll talk about that somewhere else. Um, No, no, no. (laughs) No, no, no. Go Keep going. I think that's what's done a good amount of harm to children of color because we've tried to operationalize what loving children of color looks like, sounds like, and feels like. And that isn't something you can, you can't read it in a book. You just have to have this innate desire to want to see children, listen, be better than what they think they can be. And so I had no idea that years later, I'd be sitting as a middle school principal in Prince George's County, Maryland, 850 kids in the building, high Esau Mm -hmm. population. I had no idea that would be my future. I just knew I wanted to be a teacher because I had some really great teachers. And so the foundation of my work, even as an English teacher in middle school and high school levels, a principal, assistant principal, is just love. I love my kids. Um, they do, they do, you know, get under my skin. Let's be clear. Um, it worked my nerve. But I think the most trying thing within the last 10, 11 weeks is just not having them. Mm. Yes, sir. We have to admit that we keep them grounded and they keep us grounded too. Uh, and just being grounded in the work and always being able to see your why every day in front of your face. And so, you know, not being able to see them has been a thing for me as a leader, mm-hmm. not being able to, you know, touch them or even be able to direct them on a daily basis. That's hard. Cause I'm not too sure that folks who don't work in schools understand the, um, I won't say trauma, but the impact that this has had on teachers and school leaders, when you, when you, for lack of better phrases, when you lose your kids, you know, those are my right. kids. That's you know, right. Those are my kids. So, mm-hmm. you know, my work just centers around wanting to make sure, and I heard it earlier, that when a child or group of children leave me, they have greater yes. access to yes. whatever they want to do. They have options. They have opportunities because of the work that we put in, um, in realizing that we've passed them off to the next phase. For me, that's high school a little bit more polished than when they first entered our building. Uh, I love this work. And once again, I'm so glad to just be in this space with you all. Man, thank you so much. So, y'all, I got chills listening to all of you um, just do that opening introduction. Um, And I want to press upon any leader that is listening. If you don't speak that passionately, about what you're doing, tap out. <laughs> I'm being honest. Tap out. And I, I just want to jump in and say, oftentimes that's what keeps you grounded. That's yes. Wanting to go back. Yeah. Are your beliefs? You know. Yes, sir. Yes. Um. So we are gonna kind of woo side minute, and then we are gonna dive back in because I gotta keep taking you in and out because we'll get so angry in the space. <laughs> That we will get no work done, right? So right now, I'm going to go first so I can kind of set the tone of you can say whatever in this space at this question. So right now, 
What you say, Letha? But we know you. So I know. know I, look, <laughs> I have to be strategic about the jobs I take, Lord. Okay. So... Um, what is on your motivational playlist right now? I was telling Dallas that I'm anywhere in a, in a given moment. Like, I could be on Anita Baker to Meek Mill within a span of about a 15-minute car ride home. <laughs> but right now, what is driving me, I have two items, two, two songs that have been on repeat. Um, the Mystery of Iniquity by Lauryn Hill. If y'all ever heard the MTV Unplugged album by Lauryn Hill, it's been mm-hmm. on repeat. And then the entire J Electronica album um, that dropped since we've been in this pandemic has like taken over my life. So what are you listening to right now? And I know some of y'all Hit me with the John P. Keys and all of that. Uh-huh. What are you listening to? And whoever wants to go first can go first to drive and keep you motivated in this time. I'm going to jump in, y'all, because when it comes to this music thing, that's one of my passions. So outside of education, um, I'm a hip hop head. I mean, I grew up in the, in the 80s. Yes, sir. So I'm talking about real hip hop. I'm, I'm talking about authentic hip hop with all four of the elements. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going back that far. But uh, you mentioned Jay Electronica, and we've been waiting for that brother to drop. Uh, years. Yes. And so, this album, uh, it, 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 a written testimony is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the content and, him, and the way that him and Jay Z play off of some of our social issues now. Yes. And then, you know, all the way back to the inception of this country and, and us coming here in the 1500s. And so, all of that is captured in that one album. Yes, sir. Uh, Royce, Royce the Five Nine, <laughs> uh, the allegory uh, is an extension of that. Um, I got my, you know, my NWA for the crib. You know, I got to throw that in there. Uh, that's on repeat, along with Ice Cube, uh, Public Enemy, Lauryn Hill, X-Clan. I mean, it goes on and on and on. That's the old school side of it. But even my, you know, come, come fast, forwarding to, fast forwarding to now, uh, there's a lot of young artists out there that, that motivate me too. It's a young brother, uh, Julius Smith out of New York, if y'all haven't heard of him. Uh, Poppy Manny reminds you of, it, it, you know, a cross between Jay-Z and Tribe Called Quest. Okay. My favorite of all time. And also Black Thought, y'all. I've been listening to Black Thought. Yeah, I love him. So I had to throw that in there, but that's that's my that's my story. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, who Good. wants to go next? Before we pick next, I have our other uh, guest co-host coming on in, uh, Miss Alva Walker. Um, and before, and, but right, y'all got y'all pens down. I hope you were writing down Michael Bland's um, list. Add Toby <laughs> Nwigway. He is a UNT grad, first of all. Uh, alumni of Houston, Texas, Toby from the SWAT. Um, so he is up and coming. Have you heard of him, Michael? I have. Man, Toby Nwigway. And that, that last name is N I, I'm sorry, N W I G W E. Toby yeah, Nwigway. He goes by another name, though, right? Yeah, Toby from the SWAT is kind of like his moniker, okay. but no, he goes by Toby Nwigway. Okay. All right, so we're going to introduce, and let me turn your mic up, uh, Miss Walker. Miss Walker, have you introduced yourself? And so you missed, like, the Kirk Franklin Sunday best of principal introductions <laughs> <laughs> from the group. So tell the people who you are, what you do currently, and, like, what drives you to do this work. Wow. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, My name is Alva Walker. Currently, I am the executive director of special education for Cedar Hill ISD. Um, This is my 20th year. 
I am so excited about making intentional impacts every day, especially for students of color, especially for students with disabilities, especially for my people. And so um, I enjoy, I love my job every day. I wake up, I get excited with every um, challenge. I say, how can I make an impact that will make a difference um, in the in the life of students with disabilities and particularly students of color with disabilities. All right. So I'm going to tell you right now we're looking at what do you have in your playlist that keeps you motivated? So um, Michael and I went total hip hop. <laughs> so I'm going to go to Dallas and then I'm going to come back through to YouTube. I already know Letha finna come with some old John P. Key. You know Nothing wrong with John P. Key. Like I love the versus battle and everything. <laughs> but I just feel like that's where you're going to go. But let's go ahead and get it, Dallas. So that's what's been keeping me up. Like I just kind of listen to all of the versus battles, folks. So you know, Jill and Erica and, mm -hmm. you know, I did listen to Fred and Kurt. Like, those are really like great. That. And let me tell you something to keep you, like, really balanced like, when you're at work, at home and working at the same time. The Tiny Desk concerts, guys. Yes, the NPR. Cool. Yes. yes. Pull those up. I mean, you just be in a different space before you know it. You done cranked out most of the work that you have before you. So that's definitely a good move. The Tiny Desk concerts. Yes. Check out the Erica Badu one. She's so good. Man, don't don't get me started. But okay, I can't sing, but I really do think I can sing. Um, but all right, Letha, what you got? Why she here? She's John P. Key. You know that's I okay. I love that. John P. Key. I'm not even gonna say. Kirk Franklin from I Dallas. Love, I love John P. Key. Okay, but what has really been on my playlist really has been um, something has to break. That's okay. just really where I have been. Um, something has to break. And um, I believe that definitely the times that we are going through, um, I believe that they definitely are not times that, um, that God has not already seen, that we know we're going to go through, that he is going to bring, bring us through. And so when all hope looks like it's gone in situations, that's where I got to pull from. So between that and um, between my boy that sings Cycles, because I feel like that's where we are. Who, who sings these songs? I mean, uh, I'm not Jonathan McReynolds. Jonathan I'm sorry, don't worry. <laughs> Jonathan McReynolds. She knows and, that's uh, my personal favorite. Cycles. Um, just, you know, because I feel like that's where we are. You know what I mean? Just going through cycles and what are the things that need to happen to break so we just don't continue to repeat these things. So, yeah, that's for me. It's always um, inspirational. You know, I do like, I like my hip-hop. In music. I mean, I'm born and raised Brooklyn, New York. I do. Y'all, she's not a Cowboys fan. Just at all. At I a, might be all. the only one on the call, but at okay. All. I don't believe anybody should be at this point. Well, that's touche. I mean, touche. I'm just saying, just because of who who is over the Cowboys, I just yeah. feel like we, we well, got to talk about the revolution. The we need to start shutting some things down. So, but, what, but anyway. Uh -uh, save saying, it. See? So, I, you know, but yeah, that's 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 what fills my buckets and, and gives me, like you said, that inspiration and that hope that beyond what it is that I am seeing, that is looking like I'm up against the wall or a battle. I have to know that I have, I am equipped to be able to push through that. And I believe that something has to break. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to be a part of the very thing that makes whatever needs to break, break. And so that, that just gives me the energy that I need that I believe I'll make it through it. I believe that it will happen right now. Because if I'm in the midst of it, right. something has to break. So you said something and, and, and I, I said it. And then last night I was talking to my daughter and, and Alva, I hope you got your songs ready. Mm -hmm. um, I was talking to her and I said, you know, 
it's so ironic in this pandemic, normally we would have a racial um, tragedy and, you know, players and concerts would be canceled and people would wear all black in solidarity or people wouldn't play games. Thinking about Muhammad Ali, he didn't box or LeBron James or somebody might sit out. But in this time, Real leadership got to step up because you ain't got no game. You still getting that check no matter what. So there is not a game for you to protest, boycott. So what do we really do in this space is it's really ironic. And I start looking at, you know, my daughter said, well, let me look at somebody, an athlete's social media page. Let me look at this, my favorite artist's social media page now that you still not performing because of COVID. So how are you going to take a stand now that that work is not happening anyway? So um, that's just food for thought. That was free. Uh, Miss Walker, go ahead and tell us your songs. I love, love, love music. And I am from Dallas, Texas. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm from the South. And I love rap music. But I created a playlist last Friday called Growth Mindset. And mm. so the quote, when you look at this playlist, it says, I will not let anyone walk through my mind with dirty feet. <laughs> I would not let anybody walk through my mind with. So then I said, what kind of songs do I add to a playlist <laughs> like with that. a quote like that? <laughs> so I started with my boy Slim Thug. He got a Slim song in 2015 called Church. Yes. And he was so cold with this song that he had Joel Osteen write Right. The, the the beginning. Yes. And Joel Osteen started talking about hanging out with turkeys, knowing that you was an eagle. So then I said, wow. well, that ain't enough right there just in church. <laughs> I said I had to add another song. And I was watching a virtual graduation, and this chick named Chica had a song called Crown. Mm. Mm. And that's the words of those songs. She said, if you're not part of my destiny, why are you trying to be a problem? Wow. <laughs> so I said, that well, then after that, I had to get my girl, Andre Day, will rise up. That's right. <laughs> I, I rise up beyond fear. And then I went, I, my girl B, she got on that remix of Savage, and she let us know she got it from her mama because <laughs> she was a savage. <laughs> and then I had to go to church, Tasha Cobb, right. when she got Nicki Minaj on, I'm yeah. getting ready. And when Nicki Minaj started testifying in her parts about how she was not anything mm -hmm. and how because he started getting her ready, then I, mm -hmm. I went, I went, walked to Hawkins. And start saying, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. Yeah, oh, so my, my playlist go a little, you know, like it goes. No, you gonna have that on Apple? Yeah. Yes. You need to share that. That, that. is, that's Girl, right there. So we need to share that. It's got, it's got several songs, and it goes back and forth from hip-hop to gospel because I love music. But yeah. one of the songs that I really, really enjoyed is by Travis Green. It's called Intentional. Mm -hmm. And I was in a dark, dark space when that song was dropped into my spirit and so I was able to understand what intentional meant and so he he talks about that and then I ended this playlist with an old school AME verse you can't beat God's gift no, no, <laughs> no matter, matter how, how you try and when you hear that Oregon purr forget <laughs> all them other songs you, you, you just oh this is my grandma's church man we about to have some church yes. but you can't beat it and so that's my playlist and it's called a uh, growth mindset and I made it last Friday I say the, say the other part about the dirty feet one more it's a quote by Muhammad Gandhi that says I will not let anyone walk through my mind with dirty, dirty feet, feet. <laughs> 
That's mm. good. So I will share the playlist with you guys. Yes. Please. Um, <laughs> you have silenced me with yes. that. Uh, so now that we all got our spirits lifted, <laughs> now that our spirits are lifted. As nervous as I am. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Don't be scared. They have a bone crusher spirit. <laughs> so what? No, I take that back. How? I want us to kind of pause as we we take this question in. How in education are we a part of this racial pandemic? Guys, we have recycled this tragedy over and over and over in our history in America. So at this time, I know that people are sending out letters from companies of, you know, what they're going to do to take a stand. Look here, mm-hmm. the wind going to blow and... This will all be forgotten. Mm -hmm. But what do we do to make sure that it's not forgotten? And so what we've got to first identify the problem. So we're speaking right now educationally because I could go for days on police, uh, banking Mm -hmm. systems, all of this. We could go for days on all of those outside things. But I want to frame us in the lens of education. How are we the problem right now in education? Gonna take a stab at it, you yes. know. Uh, just looking at this education system, and I'm talking about the United States education system. And if you look at the plight of the African American uh, post-slavery, and you look at uh, all all the gains that remain in a 12-year period during Reconstruction, uh, then Jim Crow comes into play, and then we fast forward to board, Brown versus Board of Education, and the present day, uh, we still we still have the same issues on the table, whether it be a, a gap in education yes, sir. or achievements in achievement, I should say, uh, education gap, or whether it be an equity gap or whether it be a technological gap or uh, a wealth gap. And, and, and it goes on and on and on. And we still have the same conversation coming into play. Uh, we have an overrepresentation of, of, of our boys and girls in, in school and out of school suspension, uh, you know, in, in, you know, removals and expulsions, you know, from 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 districts altogether, uh, incarceration rates, we, we lead there, we, we, we lead in, and so on and so forth. And so uh, schools are a microcosm of society. And so as educators, you know, and I used to work as a probation officer in LA and, mm. and I work with juveniles. And so doing that work, um, what I've, and I have a master's degree in criminal justice and I studied community policing with an emphasis on juvenile justice. Uh, and terrorism. And ironically, since like I'm built for the time in, in a sense, you know, all that studying that I did, I didn't know that I was preparing for it today. Mm-hmm. And so as an educator, and, and I've, which I've always been, uh, but now that I'm leading a group of educators and I'm responsible for students across the board, what I'm seeing is that uh, we're, we're scared to death. Yes. And if, yes. We, and if we ain't scared to death, then we're, 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 we're performing uh, educational malpractice <laughs> yeah. in the words of, of, of Kenneth Washington. You know, the educational mal- malpractice, uh, you know, when we don't address the inequities and we don't address the atrocities that have plagued our people, when we, don't, when we, when we want to use cold words instead of saying white privilege and we want to say, you know, uh, implicit bias, call a spade a spade. Because when it comes to <laughs> our kids, they call a spade a spade. 
and I, you know, and, and I, I unapologetically educated is the, is the name of the of, of the platform. Yes, yes, sir. But but we got to be uh, unapologetically disruptive. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 not afraid of the consequences of being such. Yes, sir. And so, and 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 when I say being disruptive, you know, every campus that I've been on, my theme has been solidarity in the face of adversity for a common cause. And so, I always lead with solidarity because as a people, we've never been on one accord. You know, and, and so and the adversity is continuing, it's continuous and, it, and it's, it's, it's a cycle. And, uh, you know, the common cause, we can't agree on what that is because we're either ashamed of it. You know, we, we, we don't you know, we, we don't want to talk about slavery, but everybody can talk about the Holocaust and every other atrocity. They can talk about the Trail of Tears, but we don't want to talk about slavery and the impact that it's had on us. Right. Nor do we want to talk about what happened prior to slavery because we don't know. And if we do know. We hoard the, uh, the 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 information, and we try to sound like we're more intelligent than one another, or we're more well versed in this and that and the other. When we're doing our children a disservice, and so uh, you know, we we didn't just get these land in these positions because we were tokens or because someone handed it to us. We're, we're here to make a difference, and so uh, you know, that, I, I hope that all makes sense in terms of uh, wrapping that together. But the the educate we're obligated to do this work and to disrupt a system that has disrupted our lives from from the beginning. It was intended to disrupt our lives. All right. Anyone else want to chime in on that one? So again, how are we in education a part of this problem of racial um, inequality? I think uh, to piggyback on what, you know, Michael said is just we've been silent. That's how Mm -hmm. we that's how we've contributed to it. We, we, we work so hard to get a seat at the table, and then we get a seat at the table, and we forgot the work that it took to get there. And mm-hmm. so then we, we begin to assimilate. And then all of a sudden, it's a, well, that's the them situation, and it's a these kids type of situation. And we take on the language that they present to us, and all of a sudden, we sitting up in diversity trainings. Like, we need that to help us understand what we're supposed to be doing for our kids. But our purpose for being there is to open up our mouths and say what is needed to really teach our kids. And that's not what we're doing. And so we get there, and again, we get silent. We get comfortable. Even at, you know, these things that are going on recently in these times, like, we're in the place and we're still not saying anything. You know, we, we, we really not. We're waiting on somebody else to create how we're going to handle this to move forward. And it should be us that should be verbalizing right. what needs to be done to move forward. How are we going to ensure? I told my staff um, yesterday, I, I sent them information. I said, I want us to be very clear that you cannot be concerned about my kids when they're in the classroom and they're learning and not be com- not be concerned about what it's like for their way of life outside of the classroom. We can't mm. be so bent on teaching about global awareness, mm. but we're not even equipping them for the national awareness that they have to deal with day to day of how they are seen and what they will have to face. So I think we've contributed to this whole process by being silent. You That's know, right. especially when you look at us as African-American educators and we sit at the table and we're like, um, well, these kids don't want to learn. You know, that bothers me when I hear when I hear those comments that are coming from our people. They don't want to learn. They don't want this. They don't want this. No, 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 no. You of all people should be able to <laughs> look at them and understand what it is that they are needing and get it done. That's right. Just as Mr. I think it was Dallas Lee that said growing up, you know, these titles that they have on things now is just what good teachers were doing. As as leaders in education, in educating, 
excuse me, in education is so important for us to make sure who we now, now that we have the position and the empowerment to give positions to other, who are you putting in the seats? Make sure that the people that you're putting in the seats will be people that will not be silent as well, that will push when they're sitting at the table about what is needed to move these kids and close these gaps. They can't be sitting under your hand and still have gaps. What have you contributed to the situation? How have you changed it by any means necessary? My philosophy of education has always been all kids can learn. They might not learn how you learn, but they can learn. And if you have accepted the challenge to be in the seat, then figure out how they learn and make it happen. I can't teach you that. That's Mm -hmm. got to be inside of you. Now everybody's talking about the hearts that matter, the minds and the hearts that matter. We need to dig into the hearts of people, (laughs) right? I mean, like, like, you got to come to the table with that anyway. I can teach you curriculum. I can get you all of that stuff in place to help you. But if you can't see a child and what's necessary to grow them, then you can't help me help my kids at all. So we can't be silent about that anymore. That has to be spoken. That has to, we have to become unapologetically loud. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. And I just want to add on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I want to add on to to that and say there's a bit of a disconnect between what's being asked of us on the accountability front. And let me be clear, I'm not saying that there should be no accountability at all. Mm -hmm. But the measures have changed so frequently. That's one. Mm -hmm. And two, uh, now we've changed the name from like being you know, at a certain standard to showing growth. And we get so excited about the minimal growth that we're starting to see in school. Amen. That the, <laughs> the narrative doesn't do children of color any service. And so we're perpetuating this cycle of, okay, work a little harder, get a little bit of growth, celebrate it <clears throat> and do it again. When really we should be looking at what we're asking schools to reach when at times, and I'll, and I'll say that, you know, this this is the case for my school. When you have been in a space where it's hard to reach a certain level of success, you're constantly trying to dig yourself out and you're trying to keep motive keep everyone motivated yes. in the process and let one thing go awry. Mm. The whole school year you can find yourself receiving a certain grade or a certain mm. label yes, or sir. a certain score. For your school, when that score, that label does not match the work. work not at all. Yeah. And so that. it becomes disheartening sometimes because our legislators and those who write policy for schools don't truly have an understanding of what it means to work in a Title I school or what it means to work in a traditionally under-resourced school or an under-resourced community. Because uh, you have every intention of wanting to hit the the goals and the metrics that are set before you. But as it was just mentioned, when your young people come to school and, you know, they're malnourished or they're worried about how to just navigate being black and walking home, some things take priority over others. And that's just not something that's just one day. This is the whole school year. (laughs) We're trying to constantly keep people lifted to do the work. So there is a disconnect between the work that we have before us every day and what we're asked to produce from the children with teachers who may not always like the children. <laughs> wow. Yes. So, I, I wish we were all together. I just want to hug. Right. I wanted to add this. Um, and everything that everyone has said is good. 
But it's now time in the field to have a partner that will chin check you. Mm-mm, Somebody him. that's going to hold you accountable. I, I'm lucky. I, I, I do not take for granted to have people in my life that say, Alva, you ain't performing at Alva. Don't do not do that no more. Mm-hmm. We have to start doing that to each other in the profession. Start saying, hey, you got, you got lives that matter. You setting mm-hmm. a standard. And one, and one thing I learned, one of the blessings I had was to be on campus as a campus administrator. We can't teach Blooms if Maslow's is not taken care of. Mm-hmm. I cannot teach you how to hire or to think anything if you hungry. Mm. I can't make you understand why critically thinking about something is more than your mama having that fight with her second baby daddy last night and your lights got turned off. It made me so appreciative to be on a campus with kids that I could serve them. They could serve me. I was always full because I was always working to make sure that that kid was okay emotionally no disability that i can't reach that they can learn so i think that if to just go back to it what can we do is start having that chin check partner you out of control girl you out of line now we're using that that chin check you bad about it so with that you know y'all kept hitting on this unapologetically educated and y'all talk you know Letha hit the silence um dallas hit like you know literally being in the moment in accountability um alva hit the chin check and michael said educational malpractice let's talk a little bit because see we 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 getting fired up i can't bring us to solutions until i piss you off okay (laughs) So, um, I'm going to ask, and anybody listening, I'm going to challenge you to go down your social media. So, I laid in the bed the night George Floyd was murdered. I'm going to call it what it is. People keep saying killed. He was murdered. Murdered, Slaughtered. Let me just call it what it was. And I typed... A 500-word essay just laying on my phone because I was so full I had to get it out. And what I did was I went down every white colleague's social media page and saw, like, I've been working with you almost 20 years. You didn't kept my kids. You didn't been to baby showers. We've been on the road together. Silence. Ooh. Shola Honda. <laughs> Say what? So then my challenge to you is to find those people because we all got them. Mm-hmm. Come on now. Mm-hmm. We all got them. Mm-hmm. And you know they ain't talking, and which is fine. But what mm-hmm. I've been doing is reaching out and saying, hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. Any questions you have? Any way I can support your growth? Mm-hmm. I've been calling because these same people are still in our schools with our babies. Yes. We ain't got the power to fire, not one of them. Mm-hmm. We don't. But they're still in the system with our babies. And I'm not saying, Michael said it's just racism. <laughs> and I'm gonna go, what I'm saying is, you're a racist because you haven't been educated right. Or you're a racist because all you know is wrong. And so until I get some right in you, maybe. And then I'm going to have about five or six of them. I'm done with their ass forever. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but I, I want to challenge you to kind of go in and see what your white counterparts are doing. Oh, and be open hey. to receive what they got to say. 
Because we're not going to get anywhere by saying, ah, oh, she been racist. Well, you let them in there with your kids and been racist. So what kind of conversations are we having? The next piece is I have a real problem. And I think it was Dallas who talked about accountability in Title I schools. It does something to my soul to see people graduate from college and intentionally come work with our kids so that your student loans can be forgiven. I'm going right. to die with them oh, damn yeah. things. This is oh, what yeah. it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you really not here because you are called or led to work with this population. This is to satisfy a financial burden for you. And then lastly, I want every administrator, every teacher listening to the words that come out of my mouth. I want you to think about the last PD training that you've had in regards to race. I can tell you, and I'm going to own that thing as a principal, the last PD we've had in regards to race was a one-hour video that I did in my comfort of my bedroom over race and equality and diversity and inclusion. So if we are keeping training for our staff, training for ourselves, on a one-to-one -one conversation, if we're doing it in isolation, guys, we will never change. Yeah. We will never change. I want everybody, like when I close my eyes, I don't know about you. When I close my eyes right now, I can see that man on the ground. Mm -hmm. When I close my eyes right now. But then my vision starts to blur and I see my husband. I see my brother. I see my nephews. And to be completely honest, it starts to switch up a little bit. It's like a TV show, y'all. And then I'm laying in the bed and I'm Breonna Taylor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or I realize, you know, I didn't put on these COVID-19 pounds. And I'm going to go on and get out in the park. And I'm going to go walking. And I'm going to mod Aubrey. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? But then I'm in the car with my kids and my husband. And I'm Philando Castillo. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I'm PV alumni, and guess what? I'm Sandra Bland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, for me, I it took me a while to even put this show together because to be unapologetically educated, I had to check myself. Mm -hmm. I had to say, like, what am I been letting slide with folk? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Too many, and not just white people. No. Right. We got we got the ones we all know that are black but shouldn't work with not one black kid, not one white kid, not one Asian yeah. kid, not yeah. one kid, period. Not one student, period. Yeah. We have people with the same color skin, people of color, that still have biases, um, microaggressions toward our kids. Yeah. Because he's 6'4 in the eighth grade, oh, you want to handle right. him. Like a grown man. That's a baby. I'm sorry. I didn't got hot in the way I'm set up. I just turned 40 this year, so I start to get overheated pretty quickly now. So we know and we've thought about, like, how we are the problem. What do we do? How do we affect systemic change in the seats we sit in right now. I don't want any hypotheticals about, you know, hey, you know, we need to start reading more articles and, you know, read right fragility. I don't look to shouts out to the chick 
for white fragility. Let me just say that. Um, but I think putting us in books still gives us time for excuses. So people on this panel, on this show today, what, how can we be a part of the solutions? What conversations do we start having right now? What professional development plans do we implement and start creating right now? Y'all got it. I got to get some water. <laughs> Man. Um, well, go ahead, Brother Leon. I don't want to jump in front of you. No, I, I am to a certain extent thinking about my words mm-hmm. and how I'm going to craft them because... I don't want to have a conversation with anyone during a pandemic, Mm -hmm. but I do have to say that it takes us not being afraid to have conversations to get written up or to be asked to pack the stuff up that's on your shelf. Now that's scary because it was shared that, you know, when you finally make it, you just, you're so excited that you might forget the struggle, not the struggle of teaching, mm-hmm. but just the struggle of speaking out courageously. As a teacher, I think, I don't know about you, as a teacher, I, I would say anything. You know? yeah. <laughs> I, would, I mean, I was, it wasn't about making things difficult, but it was about doing what was right for the perhaps 90, 95 kids that I taught. And I knew that you had to go through a whole lot of paperwork if you wanted to get rid of the black English teacher. (laughs) So I wasn't afraid. There is a different level of fear that comes with leading. And I Mm -hmm. I hate it because I am outspoken and, you know, I'm just reflecting these last couple days. I've been cautious of what I post and I'll type the tweet and I'll delete it. That that happens at least four or five times a day Yes, because I'm not afraid of losing friends or followers. I just know there is going to be backlash about me taking a stance on something that has a political uh, undertone uh, association. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you ask, what do we need to do? It's just one, we need to do this. I don't know if we do this enough because I'll, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes we're in a state of hoarding information. Uh, hoarding best practices because we have to stay afloat mm. where you are. You just got to stay afloat. Um, and I don't know if we talk enough um, throughout the country. And then you have to be bold enough to say, you know what, I'm going to give this place, this school, this environment, these kids, one million percent of the best what's right. Mm. And let the chips fall where, may, where they may fall. It's hard. But that's what it's going to take. All right. You know, the, in, in the, the other side of that, you know, when we talk about these positions that we're in and, you know, the, the, the comforts of having a, a paycheck that comes in every month and, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you have a six figure income and, you know, all these things. Right. And, and, and so that that is comfort. That's also survival. That's also your way of life. It's, just, it's, it's the means of how you you know get through the day. But uh, what's more important, your integrity as a man and a woman? or the comforts of those things that I just mentioned. And so we have to be able to, I spoke about solidarity, right? So say, say you do tweet something out that is in the eyes of some inflammatory and then there's a backlash. Well, if they come after you, 
or say something about you and then 10 of us go back and tweet the same thing in the same district or in the same area mm-hmm. where you go fire all of them mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and and then also you know the, the the being strategic about who we uh present ourselves as you know mm-hmm. i I'm, I'm michael bland at the end of the day and i'm at my, my michael bland at the beginning mm-hmm. and i'm michael bland in the middle so that means throughout the day i'm gonna be who i am right mm-hmm. These positions don't define who I am as a man, but what mm-hmm. it does, it gives me a platform mm-hmm. oh my God. to speak truth to power. Yep. And you know, power is what you perceive it to be. Mm. So if you're if you're always thinking you're speaking truth to something else that's considered to be power, but you don't see yourselves as being power, then there, there's a problem. There's a disconnect. Yeah. Power has to be power head on. Yeah. And so, you know, the the, the key right now, and and, and, and yeah, we're, we're we're hot, we're mad, upset. You know, because of what we see, there's an emotional uh, component to that. But then there's also just a real component to that. Ain't no difference in what's going on today that went on in the 60s, that went on in the 20s, that went on. You know, so if that's the case, uh, I don't think Martin Luther King stayed up late at night thinking about being a 38, 39-year-old man and I'm going to die tomorrow. He told you, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of here, y'all, but this is what's coming, you know. So sacrificing more than just uh, our paychecks, we have to sacrifice that fear that's embedded in us systemically mm-hmm. through slavery. Mm-hmm. If you just want to get to the heart of it, yes. why are we afraid to, to, to talk to power? Because power has always been uh, been able to, to, to sting us to the point where it was a deterrent for us to do so. So it's, it's, it's time to be sick and tired of being sick and tired and step out on the and, and grab the bull by the horn, so to speak. You know, because you told us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We did that in Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you blew up the whole right. town. Right. So don't tell me to pull myself up by my bootstraps, but I, but, but I would I'll tell me and my people, like we sitting right here, we need to come together and put a plan in place and use this platform for what it is. I, I, I 100% would agree with you with the plan. This is so, um, this is so ordained because um, when, when I was first approached with the topic, I never talk about race. I, I don't um, talk about race. Um, I hide some of my thoughts. I, I protect my friends. Just two days ago, I go on our portal that we communicate with each other and says, hey, be mindful of what you put on social media. But then today, as I meditated about the day, God kept saying, do the job. No matter what he kept saying to me. And then he turned around and made my playlist play no weapon formed against me. So he said, do the job like in my meditation. So it's time for us to do the job. You're right. We're in situations that some of our parents, we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. We literally are. We are in a situation where we make incomes that our parents didn't retire making. That, right. my, that my mama sits in awe to say, you you negotiated that? You asking people for some more? Sit down somewhere. <laughs> right. You, you need to be thankful God was good to you. And I'm like, nah, they owe me some more. So we in a situation right. where we are at the table and God is saying out loud to us, do the job. That's that's what he told me this morning. Do the job. So every day, and really particularly in my situation, I'm a just let's just be honest. I'm a director of special education in Texas. It's 52 African American special ed directors, and of the 52, is seven of us 40 or under. 
And of the seven that's 40 and under, four of us are women. Mm. It is 314,000 students with disabilities in the state of Texas. 62% of them are African American. And I just told you it was only four of us, uh, 40-something. I was at a conference this February, and because of my personality, I'm a jokester, this woman kept asking me what I do. I just couldn't be a director. So I told her, I run the call center in Cedar Hill ISD. Um, I take cold calls inbound, outbound. I troubleshoot situations. And then within an hour, she had to sit across from me with my attorney at dinner. And my attorney said, you don't know Alva? Shoot. She need to go to law school. She should be one of our partners. She was like, yes, I met her. She runs the call center. She says, no, ma'am. She is the executive director of Special Ed for Cedar Hill ISD. And so the expectation was I couldn't be in charge. That's right. Uh, uh, I couldn't be over Special Ed where the decisions were being made for black and brown kids. I couldn't be the person in charge. So now I'm even more convicted because I'm not going to lie, Deidre had me nervous about this topic, y'all. I was up late, late, late because I'm vocal personally, you know, or not publicly. (laughs) I don't know, you know. So, but God kept saying, do the job, Alva. He said, I put you in this position to do the job. I work hard for kids of color and students with disabilities every day because I finally got a seat at the table. All I talk about, if you call Dr. Hudson right now, you call my supervisor, special ed. So this is what we're going to do for the kids, and this is what it looks like. And so I think that now that we've had this, we are in this situation, it's time for us to do the job. It's time for us to hold ourselves accountable. It's time for us to tell our mamas, hey, this child might have a disability, but this, this, and this can happen for this child. Mm -hmm. Get the resources that they're getting out in McKinney. McKinney moms getting everything for their kids for free. You know, in McKinney. We we deserve the same thing in Cedar Hill for our kids. We say the same things in South Dallas for our kids. We should be out for that. So it's just time for us to do the job. Have these conversations. I agree with Dallas 100% that we should have the conversations, but now it's time for us to do the job. Get uncomfortable with it and do what's best for kids. All right. Do the job. You got a couple of cliches rocking yeah. there. <laughs> Chin check. Do the job. These oh, are t-shirt rockers right here. I know. <laughs> we really are though, for real, for real. I feel like a proud mama. I do. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I've done some good seating over there. Alva. Yes, I called good Letha job. last night. I said, Letha. <laughs> so I think I scared Alva. <laughs> and I have that ability about myself, and I embrace uh, who I am as a person. I said, I need you on here because. I could go ham, but she needs your energy to push her on through. And Letha was like, okay, I'm there. So Letha, kind of wrap this question up so we can we can get to that next piece. So what do we do? I think we have to really understand the power of who we are. I think the only reason that we are still in the situations that we are in right now is because we do not fully understand what they understand about us. And that is that if we really all come together on one accord, and make our demands made known. They are truly who they are because of who we are. On mm-hmm. the backbone of everything that has taken in existence and has become for this nation is on our backs. 
And so if they re- if we really came together and started making our demands like we needed to, I think that's when we will see those changes. If we really band together to where, why do we have to be, why do I have to second thought about what I'm going to post? If it's truth, it should be okay. And because I am who I am and I'm only going to do truth, I'm going to post it. I'm going to put it out there because it's my truth. Challenge me all day about it. I dare you. I'm ready. Oh, she does it all the time. Mm -hmm. If we would make sure that that is our stance all day, every day, like Michael said, who I am in the beginning, in the middle, and to the end is who I am, then that will be what it will be. You ask the question of what are we doing with our staff? What are we doing in the places in which you are? I am the first black principal over the school that I'm leading right now. Mm -hmm. And all of my staff do not look like me. Mm -hmm. And it was a, the first semester was rough, if you can imagine. Because who is, everything was just about who I was giving the instruction, right? Mm -hmm. And so it just had to get to the point, I can't, I had to stand before them and say, look, look, I am who I am. And I don't expect you to be anything besides who you supposed to be for the job you applied for to say that you wanted to do for the kids that come in this building. And I'm not asking you to be anything other than that. Don't ask me to be anything but who Letha is. Because what you're going to get from Letha is everything that you possibly need to do this work that is here. But you're going to have to accept me as I am. Because I'm not changing. I am who I am. See me as who I present to you that I am. And together we'll be able to do that work. But this is all that I have for y'all. And, and it was until I put that out on the table and they were open and saying, you're right. And I think it was just that we weren't accustomed to it and we didn't know how to read you and we didn't know how, well, that's fine, but you need to ask some questions. <laughs> but I mean what I'm, what I'm talking about, about what we're doing here for kids, and we just have to be that way, y'all. Right. We cannot hide. We can't have those conversations. It's not even cool for us to have these conversations when we were our black people and say mm-hmm. the truth. And, like, I'm going to put it all out there. I'm going to just say what I have to say. When we get around them, we got to be cool. We got to be so, well, let me frame this the right way. How can I? No, it misses the message. This is what we are talking about. This is the issue that is at hand, and this is what we need to discuss. This is where we need to start making our moves as those who are in leadership roles and have an opportunity to sit at these tables. Like, we need to do that. And then let's be clear. There are enough of them that don't look like us that really do want us to do this. Yes. Like, if we really do it, they are there because there are some with some really good hearts Mm -hmm. that really want to understand how to do. But because we've been silent. That's right. And absent, we haven't equipped them with what they need. So they they at a rock and roll, too, because, I mean, I've done all I can, and I'm still not able to reach these kids, and I'm still not able to push them there, and here we are. Why are we not opening up our mouths and saying what needs to be said as well? So it, it really requires us. We can't have secret organizations and secret conversations and secret meetings. We are perpetuating the same things that we had to do at the end of the night when slave time, when they said we were supposed to go to bed and we had our secret meetups about how we, what we was going to do while master was sleeping. That's the same stuff that we are doing. When we are still with our culture and we have splits, it's the same systematically. Our, uh, Brother Bland, he took us through the history, but the same 
thing happens with us with the ones that have jobs and the ones that don't. We are acting like the light skin to the dark skin, you know, slaves, the ones who got the better treatment in the house and the ones who are outside. We're perpetuating that in the system. When we want to have conversations about what should be done, when the brother spoke about having this accountability system, we can't talk about the unfairness of how that looks with our kids without being willing to address the accountability system. Right. It wasn't designed with the thought of mind of our children in the first place. That's why it will never match the work that we, the hard work that we have to do with our children to get them to where they are. So unless we're willing to go all the way at the top and stop settling for these mediocrity of just these superficial Band-Aid wound fixings that we're doing on these wounds, it won't ever change. That's right. Make them address us in the system. Don't tell me to the at-risk and the special pop targeting that you want me to do that is hitting the same darn groups. That's right. Okay. Why is not not just the main thing that we are addressing, period? Right. Right? right. So I think that's just what it, it requires us to really band together and open up our mouths and stop being silent. She makes fun of me all the time, but it comes to a point in time where we have to ask the question. He don't need our help. He'll do it without you. Mm. But is that what you want? So if you have a responsibility to open up your mouth and say something, you better do something. Yes, ma'am. Do the job. Do the work. Chin check, <laughs> number two. Yeah, do the job. <laughs> so we, we just gave some very um, spirited responses. But we got leaders, y'all, and y'all know. We got leaders sitting there like, okay, but still, what do I do? And I need us to dig deep with, like, some concrete actions. So let me give you um, an example. So I already know I've been working on back-to-school um, PD. I've even been working on, like, you know, sending my staff, like, what snippets do I send to them to to prime the conversation, that the ongoing conversation we need to have moving throughout the year. You know, what does it look like? Um, for conversations with our students. Because we started something, um, and in every district has some part of an advisory. Um, they have a, a morning meeting. They have something to that effect. But, y'all, if our teachers ain't trained, hmm. I, I, I have nothing else on that. So I want us to give, and I know we said we can't be silent anymore. Number one, we got we, we to gotta talk about accountability, but... How do we talk about accountability? How do we change silence in our workplace? How do we, like Michael got the his, history down pat. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we make that a part? And I know African-American studies is now on for high school, but it's too late Dang. to talk about it in high school. We need to talk about it throughout, but I digress. Um, but what do we do? Um, Alva said, do the job. What it's leaders listening, and I'm telling you that I'm going to get the, the email. Okay, but what do I really do? How do I create a plan for this? What resources do I utilize? And, I, and, and my, 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 always my first response is, sis, bro, you're going to have to grow yourself some now. Let me just say that. I'm unapologetically going to tell you everybody can't give you the answer to everything because then if it don't work, it wasn't your fault. <laughs> so that's my big mom because I'm going to ask me the answer and then you get mad when it don't work in your favor because you really didn't work it like I would have worked it. Mm -hmm. So let's give them, I want everybody to give one action item that is tangible that we're going to do moving forward as leaders. So whatever that, whatever that's going to be, I'm going to create spaces to have at least monthly dialogue with my staff about race 
um, uh, diversity and inclusion, because this is, you know, we're talking about race right now, but um, there's also some some gender equality, some sexuality conversations that need to be had. And if we don't have those conversations with teachers, our biases come through when we're speaking to kids. And I can tell you, moving to middle school this year, I've seen, oh, Jesus, more, I've had more conversations about sexuality with kids <laughs> than I ever have before because I was in elementary. And even having those, even with my own kids. So I say, I'm creating a systematic space where we're going to talk about diversity and inclusion. But then even figuring out, like, how do I prime that space to get the best outcomes? Because we could talk about it all day. How do we prime that space to get the best outcomes? So mine is creating space to have the conversation and then follow up with action steps of conversations with our kids. Anybody else? Just adding on to that to say that whenever you bring your folks together to have such conversations, make sure the conversations are rooted in some form of an anchor text to which folks can go back yes, all year to re refresh themselves. I like that. And focus on depth, not breath, um, when, you, when you come mm. together as a staff. Because when you focus on depth, it keeps folks wanting to come back. And it doesn't matter the mindset they may have. Mm. show up because you, the principal, and you said, hey, they got to go to this meeting. But after a while, when you really start focusing on depth and you have that anchor text that really forces everyone to think about what they do, how they do. Uh, they just constantly want to return. And I'm going to recommend a text, start where you are, but don't stay there. Uh, uh, Dr. Richard Milner, amazing piece that just has everyone to think about um, opportunity gaps that exist in urban education. Gotcha. I love it. Start where you are, but don't stay there. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we talk a lot about educating students and what we really tr truly should be doing is, is empowering students. Uh, you know, we're already producing with our current system is uh, students that are going to go out and consume and spend that trillion plus dollars that African-Americans spend on an on a annual basis, which really props up this economy in, in the United States. And so using our, our schools as um, you know, we talk about safe havens, safe havens, you know, and things like that. Well, what that truly means to me and, and how I use my campus, we're going to bring in speakers mm -hmm. that will talk about financial literacy and not just talk about it, but have an actual program in place so that our students understand economics from elementary all the way through 12 going into higher ed. Uh, also, when we talk about social emotional learning, and so it's a buzzword right now, but it's, it's also practice. Mm. But with my teachers, we, we have uh, circle groups for our teachers right now. And we talk about implicit bias and we talk about all the isms and, and, and a number of other things that plague our communities from within because our teachers bring that baggage to the classroom and then that implicit yes. bias carries over to all the other things that I mentioned earlier. And, and so being bold in that regard uh, as, as leaders, you know, we have that building there, not just to, again, educate, but to also empower students and the professionals that we're in charge. Awesome. So um, I agree with Dallas as well as Michael. Um, I'm a I'm a lover of books, and um, the book that I purchased my entire staff to end their year off was the Coffee Bean. And if you get an opportunity, the Coffee Bean is written by um, I'm sorry, I'm reading a lot. Damian West. Damian West was a D one. Uh, expected to be a top draft uh, NFL football player, 
and he got sentenced to life in prison um, for a drug charge. He um, did 16 years. He met John Gordon while he was in prison, and he has written a fable about the coffee bean effect and how when a coffee bean gets to hot water and how we can percolate and how we can impact change. And so your question was, what can we do? We have to find something based on the um, audience in which we lead that will take them and ask why. Mm. Make them want to know why. Why, why, why Miss Walker, are we reading about change and impact? Because I want them to understand that you determine how influential or how important, not influential, but how important it is to educate this kid by, by, by the choices that you make. If you're lackluster in your involvement in this kid's life, don't trip when the principal and the gen ed teacher don't care anything about this kid because you, you're not advocating for him. You're not making that big impact. So I think first we should start with the conversation. And then after we have the conversation, um, Start unpacking based on what people are responding to mm -hmm. and then making development, uh, make a PD based on that. Uh, one of the things that I'm big on as a department is that we got to be transparent. So if you hurt my feelings, it's okay. I'm coming back. I'm not quitting. I'm going to drop the ball. I'm human. But we have to be transparent with each other. I had a conversation with one of my employees on the way out the door. And so I just asked her. I did. Um, she she um, is a, a, a white, a Caucasian lady. I just asked her, uh, how you feel about everything that's going on? And she broke down. I mean, I couldn't even get her together. I was like, I got to go. You know, I need to make it on Dallas Tollway. <laughs> I didn't mean to turn you up like that. <laughs> Happy summer. Here you give. Start reading. Uh -huh. You know. <laughs> but I, I feel like when she evoked that emotion, she let me know that she has a level of concern. So now the conversation towards her is going to be different. Whenever I talk and check on her, I'm going to start saying, well, how would you feel if we did this? How would you feel if we had this conversation? What are your thoughts about this? So I think building the relationship, having the conversation, and be targeted and intentional in what we're talking about. Yes, we're talking about race, but let's not only talk about race. Let's talk about poverty because poverty got different levels. Mm -hmm. It got different looks. Poe and poor is two different things. Mm, you better <laughs> So we, we got to have some type you of You are the cliche T-shirt on today. <laughs> yes. So we have to poor. have we have to have some of those conversations. So I think we should start with having the conversation, unpacking it, making some PDs around it, and then make a game plan. What mm. can we do next? But it needs to be intentional. It has to be intentional and it's gonna have to be uncomfortable right now. That's right. And I think the can, last I, can I can I say can I say one quick thing? Yeah, I, I, I don't want to forget it. <laughs> I, I'll be quick. No, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So so she talked about poverty and she, and, and she said poor is poor and poor is poor, and and we get disillusioned sometimes as educators and we start talking about this poverty gap when all the data points that data doesn't really have an impact on student achievement in terms of African Americans whether you're affluent or whether you are poor we still are outperformed by rural, mm. poor, white students. 
And so Ruby Payne, and, and I was just showing someone yeah, the other day, Ruby Payne it. talks that's about it. this. That's a good uh, one. But Ruby Payne, is, is she, she's talking about being poor, mm-hmm. right? Which could be universal. Mm-hmm. But then Kawanja Kanjufu talks oh, about being poor. Oh, shut up. Yes. You know, so we're going to start doing book studies and so that's on and so fun. forth. We got to take these books and we got to take this, the knowledge that we get and really mm. get home to where truly, you know, things sit and, and quit letting people define who we are and what our condition is and control our narrative and start to be the the, the, the narrators of our own narratives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry. The authors. I'm sorry. May I? Uh-huh. I know I have to take an exit pretty soon to get to a feeder school meeting, but just going along with uh, what Michael said, it's not adopting definitions. You have the ability as the leader, we have the ability as principals to shape definitions that are best for our building too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something to remember as you're reading different texts, when we're talking about what poor looks like or what poor looks like, we can begin to apply specific uh, examples from what we see in our building so that wow. it always has that context to which the teachers can connect throughout the year. All right. Yeah. Go ahead, Letha, get your snippet. That was my, that was, that was it. That was the last part that I was going to say that, um, you know, my assistant principal, I love the fact that we um, have these levels of conversations and she's white and um, she asked if we could do, um, start doing the circles uh, conversations with our teachers and she wants us to do it with the book, Be the Bridge by Latasha Morrison. Mm. But um, the other piece of that is to make sure that when we're doing these studies, how do we help our teachers are just like what we are asking them to do with kids. How do we help them make the connections of that in the practices that we have daily with what we're doing with kids? Right. And so making sure that we're making those connections so they can see where those biases and those things show mm-hmm. up in our practices right. that we have with kids by looking at those data points, by looking at all of the facets of what we're doing in the building to educate kids and make those connections so that they see that it's just not isolated mm-hmm. and we're not just doing this this study because we're thinking about Black what's happening Month. in right, yeah. Black History Month or what's happening out in the world know how does that show up in the practices of day-to-day what we're doing with kids so that they can become mindful of it and come um, become aware of it so that would be the only last piece that I would add to that diversity and inclusion doesn't have a month or a holiday it's supposed to be embedded every day and so we have literally um, we're supposed to take a break my sponsors who give me like a little bit of a side check so I can get my brains done every three months it's just it's just a little bit we are back from break, and it is time to do my favorite part of the show. Thank God a teacher raised me. And um, we have Principal Lee has to get out of here, so I will let him go first. But before he goes, I just want to say, like, this is another reason why Unapologetically Educated is here. This show was birthed from me wanting to pay um, respect to educators that did the work that paid it forward to me. And so um, this is a time to shout out whether past, present, um, or anyone even in the future that has helped you become an exceptional leader or that you see great leadership in now or ed- they're teaching and molding kids right now in the position that you sit in now. So, um, Principal Lee, you're up. I'd like to definitely shout out all those teachers who raised me with my mom. These are the same ladies that I can call to this day. So Miss Guess, my first grade teacher, mm. I love you. Thank you for teaching me. <laughs> my fourth grade teacher, Miss Walton, thank you for teaching me how to love deeply. And to my ninth grade English teacher, Mrs. Griffin, thank you for teaching me how to appreciate 
the power of reading black novels. Peace and love to you all. I've enjoyed the experience. How can they find you on social media if they want to reach out to Mr. Lee, Principal Lee? Mr. Lee Six on Twitter. Uh, I'm definitely an avid Twitter. Look forward to connecting. Thank you so much for being on the show. Okay, next, we're going to go to Michael. You want to go next? That's fine. Uh, so I mean, that's just a, a tough one, but thinking all the way through and I'll just touch on a couple of people, but Mr. Uh, Omar Bradley in Compton, California, who was once the mayor of Los Angeles and I mean, of, of Compton in the early nineties uh, was my English teacher and football coach. And he, he was the standard. Uh, every, everything about him was uh, he was the macho man, but he was also an intellectual. He was a Renaissance man mm. and he was a native of Compton, grew up in the same neighborhood. I grew up in, he knew my parents. And uh, he invested time into me. And most importantly, though, what he did for me, along with a couple of other teachers, is affirm who I am. Uh, Miss Massinio, my 11th grade uh, English teacher, who introduced me to, to, to uh, different authors, to people that I would have never touched. Uh, I picked that book up in voice of her, like Tennessee Williams or, uh, you know, some of the other greats that are out there. Some of the, you know, the, the books go on and on. And so these, these are people that, that, spent time with me, but also saw something in me that was different, that, was a, that saw that spark. And uh, in every professor that I had at Grammy State University who mm-hmm. held me accountable, who uh, affirmed who I am again, but also that showed me the way. And uh, it's one thing to be, again, educated, but it's another thing to be empowered. And the HBCU mm-hmm. definitely yes. empowered. Hey, so, uh, and so as I leave campuses, I think about that all the time. I have to have a building that is empowering students and affirming students and also giving students opportunities, access, as well as exposure uh, to things outside of their own walks of life uh, that, that we know is beneficial for them long term. All right. Thank you, Michael. How can they find you on social media? You hard to find, too, just FYI. I, 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 you know what? I don't even know my, uh, <laughs> my Twitter handle. But, um, you know, know. hey, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm, I'm going to send it to you. I'm on Facebook. You can just type my name in there. But, uh, and then I'm also on Instagram, Lou Rawls on, on, on Instagram. Okay, so I got Lou the very, Rawls, yeah, Lou you know, Rawls. don't ask, don't ask me where the name come from. But, <laughs> Lou Rawls. Uh, but, but longer story shorter, yeah, y'all can reach me at it, and I'll send it to to, to Deidre. She has it Okay, got it. Thank you so much for being on the show. All right, Miss Walker, you want to go next? Sure. Um, so I never got to meet her personally, but um, I was named after her. Her name was Alva Shackleforth Brown, and she was a teacher of teachers. Um, She was my grandmother. She was my father's mother. She died one year to the date of my birth. And so as a a commitment to my mama, she she told my dad, I'll name her Alva. And and my mom thought my dad forgot because it was the 70s, and you know what they did in the 70s. And so she thought my dad forgot, and she thought she was going to be able to name me Kelly, but he walked right into St. Paul Hospital and filled out the birth certificate without her permission. (laughs) So my first teacher that I love, um, she's in heaven. I never got to meet her, and I try my best to emulate all the stories that's been told, and it's Alva Shackleford-Brown. And then... I had a fifth grade teacher, Ms. Morris, and she said, you got it. She kept saying that. And I remember when she passed and I went to her services, um, I was in college and I said, she told me I had it. And then in high school, I had Mr. Elias, one of the meanest math teachers known to man, algebra two teacher. I was in the math cluster at Skyline High School. And he said, Ms. Brown, you got to work for it. 
And so then I had uh, professors at Jarvis Christian College, countless ones. But the one that resonates in me all the time is Dr. John F. Johnson. <laughs> and he said as sure as he was black and his hair was kinky, if you don't study, you going to fail. <laughs> and so that was his thing. He would walk around and say it. And so I, I, I have those educators. Um, and you know what? To be honest, I would be so remiss not to name my aunt, my, grand, my mother's sister. Her name was Jacqueline Davila. Everything that she was, I wanted to be. Was she a teacher in Wilma Hutchins? She was. Yes. Girl, sixth degree. Yes, ma'am, she was. She, she was everything that I wanted to I be. I, yeah. I, I, I Everything I've done, down to going to HBCU, pledging Delta, being a teacher, everything that I am um, was because of her. And so I would be remiss not to say that I stand on her shoulders. Um, because she was an amazing teacher yes. and person, and she loved kids, and she loved making impacts in lives of kids. And so, yes, Jacqueline Davila, so those are my teachers. She was ordained. Letha. Mm, man, Miss um, Rankin and Mr. Uh, Pistachio, those were my two eighth-grade teachers. Um, first time I ever had black teachers. Mm. Um, it was eighth-grade. And so um, I remember them dearly because they did not allow for me to settle for anything. I can remember vividly just seeing the board right now, and there was a big circle with a dot in the middle. And if you did not hit it every time that they asked you a question, you basically was humiliated. <laughs> but it made me know that you had to come with it, be prepared, and be ready at all times. And that's something that she pushed me to. I went to a high school in New York, in Manhattan, called High School of Teaching, and we had to do our internships um, each year at a different school. And I went back to those two eighth grade teachers. And every time I would get in front of that class to be able to teach, they literally set the timer, and they had three minutes. I had three minutes to get to their students. And if I if they didn't feel I was getting to them, they sat me down in front of their kids because they felt like I wasn't ready. And they said, you have to make sure you got three minutes. You got to capture them. You got to make sure you're going somewhere. They pushed me hard like that. And so I remember them. The day that I actually got to go beyond three minutes, I knew I made it. Yeah. Uh, I was in the 11th grade doing my internship, and I knew that I made it. I went to Jarvis Christian College as well, all the way from New York. And our education professors were the same way. You got an opportunity to stand in front of him and teach the class. And if you did not get it in the first few minutes, he said, sat down. You could just hear that real strong, and he would make you sit down because you, if you're going to leave out of Jarvis Christian College as a black educator going into these schools, you will be above the expectation of any other educator that you're working with. And so that those people are who I shout out for me that made me know that I could not be mediocre. I couldn't be average, and I could not be like the next person that was teaching in the classroom next to me. There was a requirement for me, and they helped me make sure that I did that in this role. And so that's who I would like to shout out. I actually have a teacher of my own that I would like to shout out as well. And his name is Kevin Simpson, and um, he came to us this year at our school, a black male um, and he has been amazing in which he has showed and exposed to our kids and our building a whole nother level. I have parents writing me letters. He was my sub first, long-term mm. sub. I had parents writing me letters saying they want this man to be their child's teacher. We need to do whatever we can to ensure that he stays in our building. When he got my uh, kids this year, they could not write 
in the writing class beyond three lines of sentences in fourth grade. And within a month, the kids were writing two pages. That The level of mm. their love for learning came from his push, his expectations, but his investment in the kids. Mm. The way that he built relationships with them and um, community within those classrooms is something that made me feel like it was me in the classroom. I right. was like, boy, I taught you. No, but I didn't. <laughs> he is right. amazing. And so my shout-out goes to Kevin, to Kevin Simpson. I am going to do the reflection with um, <laughs> the tribe still in the space. Um, normally, I go off to the side and record this while I'm in like a zen moment. But today, I am my cup has been filled. And um, the quote for today's reflection is from Fanny Lou Hammer. And if you don't know who it is, look it up. That's what I'm going to tell you. But um, the quote is from the amazing Fanny Lou Hammer. And what she said was, whether you have a PhD or no D, we're in this bag together. And whether you're from Morehouse or no house, we are still in this bag together. We are each other's harvest. We cannot do this alone. We cannot do this separately. As leaders, black, white, brown, whatever color you are. We need each other to continuously grow education. So yes, we have a global pandemic of racial inequality, but from this seat where you sit in right now, Michael talked about like how protest looks different in any facet. So the way we protest in education is number one, we come together collectively and we stand for changing what we put in front of students and how we grow them to healthy mentally healthy adults so when we look up and we're retired and we're sitting in those seats that none of this is happening to the students that we we taught we raised we groomed we are each other's harvest. And so it does not matter what walk of life you come from. If you are now in education in any facet, the time is now to align to do what's right by our students, to do what's right by each other, to do what's right by you. Be blessed.